the Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by the Elite Experience Elite Shotguns and is fueled by Fioki. Oh. Welcome to the Dead Pair Podcast, coming in hot with everything you want to hear about sporting clays. Guy Fieri. How are you, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. Anthony Matteris Jr., how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Welcome back, David Radulovic. That's a net positive. Brad <laughs> Kidd. Corey Cruz. Thank you for joining us this evening. Now I feel awkward. With your hosts, Jason Rambo. One more Red Bull for you. And Sean Alley. Woo, yeah! Christmas. Let's do it! Often imitated, but never duplicated. It's the Dead Pair Podcast. Dead pair. And now, it's showtime. What's up, Mr. Alley? Well, uh, I tell you what, you're going to have to tell me what's up. Okay. Because this is a very interesting episode <laughs> indeed, where I wasn't really involved right? Because after the Jack Links, I headed north to Orlando, and you headed south to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, okay. So, real quick, if if uh, anybody listening hasn't already heard, so part one of this podcast is over on the Journey podcast with David Radulovich. So, if you haven't heard part one, you need to get over there and check it out, listen to it. Uh, it's on all the podcast atlas, Apple, Google, all of them. Um David Radulovich, Mr. Late to the Party himself, <laughs> got a hold of me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, we're heading to dinner. He's like, let's meet up. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, sitting at dinner, a couple bourbons later, it's like, hey, let's record a podcast. I'm like, Sean's not here. And he goes, well, we can figure it out. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> so he follows us to the hotel. This is hilarious. And I thought, okay, we'll set up in the meeting room. Well, the meeting room was all set up the next morning for like a big business executive meeting, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we go in the exercise room, the workout room. We literally had David's laptop propped up with barbells and and microphones set up on weightlifting benches. Oh, Lord. And we recorded it. So it's a little echoey. So you listened to part one. I listened to part one, and and you guys touched on a lot of things that we've been talking about doing a podcast on anyways. Right. And uh, I think this is basically the continuation of that, as well as... You said there's a little bit more uh, humorous uh, so you, you hel- hilarity in the second part. Oh I haven't heard God. the second part yet. So. I laugh so hard. Uh, this second part, you, you wait till you hear it, Charlie. I laugh so hard, my abs hurt. I mean, <laughs> but, it, you know. How the, long are you guys in this workout room? I'm just curious. Three hours. So. Okay. I, I was thinking, well, David, it, it could have been half of the night. So <laughs> I know how he goes. Well, I, so. I think it was like 2.30 a.m. when we when we shot the mics off. I was like, dude, it's 2.30. He's like, are you serious? So when you walked into the hotel room, did Jules shoot you or? No, she was passed out cold. So okay. it didn't right. matter. Gotcha. But uh, no, I mean, in the first half, we solved all the world's problems. Uh, okay. We addressed uh, current issues with the NSCA. Um we he kind of had a little different, and I know our podcast is coming out about being down class from master class, right? Uh, and I'm excited for everybody to hear that because your perspective and our and the two guests that we had on their perspectives were very, very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but David had a little different outlook on it, which is hilarious because he made master class at like two years old, but anyway, um, <laughs> <Two years> old. <laughs> but, but uh. 
so we talked about that briefly and got his perspective on it. Um, we looked at some different things with shoots, um, talked about the Jack links, but this second part, I'm telling you, it kind of went off the rails a little bit and it's hilarious. I think everybody's going to love listening to this. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So why don't we get at it? The dead pair. Well, one last thing. Yeah. About masterclass. And then we'll, we'll move on from that. David, you know this because of your student base. And, and you and I have had this discussion. You've got some students that uh, to say they have money is a slight understatement. Yeah. Um, some of them own very, very large corporations. Yeah. There's a lot of very high up people that shoot sporting clicks. For crying out loud, Donald Trump Jr. was just at the Jackson's Cup. Yeah. Uh, don't you think, and we've talked about corporate sponsorships. Yeah, okay, everybody says, well, we're shooting guns. No, wait a minute. Don't you think for a minute that the people that shoot this game that are very high up, they either own corporations or they've got a lot of money, they could very easily sponsor the NSCA or regionals or whatever. Don't you think that they see this problem and they're like, because they compete themselves and they're like, I'm not throwing money at something that's just a fiasco. Or I'm not throwing money at something to only support the top 20 in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you think that could be a determining factor? If like if we had a way of fixing masterclass, I guess that's my that's my point. If we fix this problem that we have, don't you think it would be more inviting for sponsorship? Yeah, I mean, you know how those people make millions and billions of dollars, right? It's that they're smart, the decisions they make with the money. Right. And right now, the reason why none of them do is because it's not a smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> Thank and, you. There's my point. So, <laughs> can we just mark this down in history at the time that you took five minutes to explain something <laughs> I that just, I could say in one sentence? I was just thinking the same I thing. High five. <laughs> I mark just, it down. I was just thinking the same thing. It's like, wow, I talked for two minutes and he summed it up in one sentence. This <laughs> never happens. This, this, <laughs> never. this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm turning over a new leaf. Yeah. <laughs> My wife edits it, she's going to be like, you got to be kidding me. You, What happened? You guys switched roles. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. Yeah, the, uh, but here's the thing. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God dang. I was thinking it. Why did you say it to us? <laughs> oh, God. I'm this crying. goes back to the shut up, Jason. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. oh, Jiminy. Okay, so the... Uh, not only is yes, if you um, we have to fix that because if we fix the classification, then really what we get is it's like think of it this way: you and I both own podcasts, mm-hmm. and what to you is more important when you go to attract sponsors? Is it saying that I get X amount of plays or my engagement level is 95%. It's, boy, here we go again. I'm trying not to be a David in my answer. <laughs> um, so Sean and I, we've, we've talked a lot about this with our sponsors. And 
Anytime we have a new sponsor approach us, the first thing we want to know is how many downloads do you have? Yes. How many plays do you have? Or what's your audience? Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that sometimes that's just a brag, but what's your audience? Mm -hmm. When we start explaining what we've done for some companies, you know, recently we had uh, Dr. Grace with Odopro on and she talks about her two, and this still, I'm still blown away by this. Her two biggest contributing factors to her success have been the Dead Pair Podcast and Meet You. Yeah. And she said we have, she gets, every order comes across her desk. She gets just as many orders from the Dead Pair as Meet You. That's podcast. Cool. And that blows me away because they're huge. Oh, they're huge, yeah. Just friggin' huge. So... I forget what the question was now. Basically. Oh my God, I'm turning to David. <laughs> Roles have reversed. <laughs> oh, no. Is your mouth getting ahead of your brain? <laughs> the uh, <laughs> my brain's getting ahead of my mouth, yes. So the, uh, it, it, the question is this. For you, what is a more important metric? Engagement or plays? Um, engagement. And, and I say that because... The plays are just a number, mm -hmm. but the engagement is actual personable. It's a measure major, of it's a Well, yeah, it's a measurable amount of profit for our sponsors. It's a return on their investment. Yeah. And that's what's most important is, and I try to drive that home is, look, we will get you a return on your investment. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can't get you 10 times what you've paid us, then we as a podcast have a problem. Yeah. Not you as the sponsor. Yeah. And that's why it's very, very important to Sean and I. And I'm not, again, this is not to toot a horn or, or do a plug or anything, but we will not have a sponsor that we do not use their product. Yeah. Because I, if I can't believe in it, and I can't have somebody come up to me and shoot, which they've done several times, and say, let me see that new Bear Pop ass, man. Yeah. Let me see those other pros. Let me see those already Rangers. Yeah. You got those prescription Rangers yet? I mean, they come up to us at shoots. They want to see this equipment because they want to go buy it. Yeah. They've heard us talk about it. So that's why it's important that we, we use what we advertise. Yes. And that makes it so much People can relate to us when they're like, wow, I see the difference it makes. Or yeah. I can feel the difference it makes. Yeah. And then they go buy it. Mm -hmm. um, I, there's one individual that came up to me a year ago that wanted to see the, bear, the new Bear Pelt Gen 2. Yeah. Okay. He owns seven of them now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, he's got his David Radulovich starter kick on. Yeah. So, uh, got to get 10 times more than that to catch me, son. But... <laughs> Do you think, and you and I both know Heather and, and Eric on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Do you think Eric and Heather give two fine craps about our play numbers versus their sales? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. the, what it matters in is that it's the, they're, they're both important metrics. That's why we count them. But the plays is your audience and the engagement is your selling power. Right. It's it's how like the the more engaged of a listener that you have, the more ability that you have to influence their purchasing decisions. Sure. And so 
the uh, when we the reason why I use that example is to just is to create an analogy, which is that if we if we have a bunch of people that shoot up the ranks of master class and then quit, and they count as a number, but they're not engaged. Right. Then we have you know right now we have probably thirty thousand members of the NSCA. I'd be interested to know the amount of active, participating, engaged members of the NSCA. I don't know that number. I know it's not 30,000 because I know it's not 100%. So the uh, so but the problem is that, you know, we don't have people that are engaged because, you know, they why do they want to spend their money and time being frustrated and then not being able to win? if they could go do something else that's more enjoyable. So we only, that's why one of the reasons why, you know, if you want to, there's so many aspects and components of this. You can grow the sport in so many other ways in marketing. I mean, I have a business plan. that will take the NSCA to roughly about a quarter, a million people in a year, number wise. That has nothing to do with engagement, but that is an important metric to be able to say, Hey, we have this audience, but then they need to know, you know, the engagement level that that becomes not very valuable when you look at it that way. But in terms of creating a, ma- a different classification system, yes, what that will make it to where people will participate more. If they participate more, they're more likely to bring a friend to come. That can grow the sport. But this also falls on the on the um, on the aspect of the clubs as well, because the clubs need to have a way to educate either themselves or their volunteers or their staff to learn how to set better targets, to learn how to do X, Y, Z. And to, you know, that's why I think the NSCA should step in and get involved and say like, hey, here is a target training course. And they're like what Anthony does. I do the same thing. I don't advertise mine. I do mine at the clubs that I teach at. I work with the target setters to help them get better. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be doing that in uh, I have two, two, three of them coming up in the next uh, two months. But that's an important metric, because if, you know, there's. How can you expect somebody who doesn't go anywhere other than is a guy that they pay barely minimum wage at that club to set targets? How can you expect him to be a target setter that sets stuff that people enjoy shooting that they don't get frustrated in? Right. Because if they're if if, if these people are going to the tournaments and they get frustrated because they got a forty five yard edgy bird with barely any visibility and fifty percent of the day because of the light and the shadows that they have and they pick the wrong target color with the background, people are getting and they don't want to have fun and they don't want to go shoot so they're not going to sign up so it's a it's a, a problem that's created from the nsca well really i guess you could assign the ownership of that to the you know like i think the nsca should help the clubs and having a structured class you know we have a, a instructor certification course why don't we have a target setter certification course and why don't we have a club owner certification course? Yeah. You know, we need to have those type of things to grow the sport. And if we do all those things, then we can grow the, the membership of the NSCA, but also the engagement of those members in the NSCA. And that's when you can go to a company as the NSCA and say, hey, we have, a, we have an organization with a quarter million people. Here's our engagement level. This is how many active people are participating in our sport on a on a monthly basis and this is how many times they do it this is the exact demographics because we have all the information if you give us fifty thousand dollars as just an entry-level thing to see 
what will happen. We'll show you results by the end of the year. And if it's worth it, the next year, double your commitment. How does that sound? Like, yeah, nothing. $50,000 is a rounding error to some of my students, you know? <laughs> like, that's the mistake that their, that their new accountant, you know, makes it just out of high school or college. And, yeah. and he makes a mistake with a rounding error. And it, and it goes unnoticed. Like, that's yeah, okay. Do better next time. You know? Like, they're not going to notice. But, but we can't even go and ask for that now right. because we have nothing to, they say, okay, $50,000, I'm giving you $50,000. That's th two times the amount of people you even have in the whole organization, you know? And it's six times more than you have people participating. <laughs> Why don't I just pay everybody $5? <laughs> They'll become a, give me the address list of your members. I'll send them a check for $5. I'll probably buy something from me. <laughs> you know? Oh. You know, I mean, but seriously. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, okay, so let's uh, move on from the master class. Though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, hold on, I got my mouth catch up in my brain. <laughs> That's a common problem. Really <laughs> Me <is>. too. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, well, man. what did you want to talk about? I mean, I've, I've thrown a couple of things out here that I thought were good subjects. Really, but what I like to do is that, you know, I think sometimes that, uh, you know, my persona for my podcast is an educator. Mm -hmm. And so then, therefore, my persona when I go on other podcasts is to be an educator. And yours is is to be an interviewer and an educator. And so I think what I wanted to do was to throw our roles out the window and just have a conversation. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I just wish the big man could be here. Yeah. Uh, for, for those asking why he isn't here. So I was, we left uh, Okeechobee and I headed for Lauderdale, uh, which is where we're flying out of. And he headed for Orlando. Uh, he's, he's, his brother-in-law lives there. So he's gonna go up there and stay with him for a day and then fly home. So we one went one of us went south, one of us went north. So <laughs> but uh um those type of conversations to me, and I wish we could record more of them. The problem is there's usually bourbon and a lot of editing that would have to take place. But I swear some of our best conversations have came from that and you know, moving forward, we'll, we'll definitely include him on the next go round because uh, I think we we really cross off a lot of good topics and a lot of good conversations yeah. that I wish we could have recorded. So, well, so many times, I mean, basically, anytime you're, I could say probably on an average, we go through times where it's multiple times per week like this, and then we go through times where I'm stuck doing not being able to answer the phone. I would say on average, it's probably about four times a month, sometimes all in one week and sometimes once a week, where we're probably on the phone a lot, about two hours each time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a lot of content. I, I'm you telling know? you right now, the conversation, and we tried to recreate it, we tried to, to bring up all those topics again uh, on the, the mental game, the, the episode you did with us. Um, but we tried to recreate that conversation when I was standing in the grocery store. <laughs> I had to put back about all the groceries because they all got warm. Uh, 
But that conversation you and I had, man, we dove deep on some stuff and it was really good conversation. Um, the problem is it takes four to six weeks for you to answer a text again. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I tell you one, one last thing I would like to talk about is, is the different podcasts because you, I, look, I know you didn't intentionally mean to, but you have confused a lot of people with your podcast coming out. So let's talk about that for a second. So, did you say infused or confused? Confused. Oh, I was like, I was like I didn't mean to infuse anybody. <laughs> I don't know how you're infusing people, man. You just keep your distance. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, you confused a lot of people with it. So, let's talk about that for a second. Sean and I's podcast, I know you said it's more of an interview podcast, but we by no means think that we're the experts on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're experts on a few things, but it's not something we can make money on. Um, so, but uh, I think the allure, um, and in fact, I know it is because we've been told so many times, the allure to people who listen to our podcast is they're just like us. Mm-hmm. They're so relatable. You know, we're, we're not some pro shooter like you. Um, we're average blue collar guys that this is our hobby. And we just... Man, we can pick up a few things here and there to get better. So they can relate to us from that. And that's where a lot of our questioning comes from when we have a guest on. Because we're still at the places that the people are listening are at in our game. And we ask those types of questions. So whether it's, you know, having someone like you on that's a pro shooter or a manufacturer, uh, you know, whether it's Better Pellet or whoever, Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's a gun club and talking about shoots and that kind of thing. It's to educate people. And we've tried to be entertaining and we don't purposely pick on each other, but it sure does come out naturally. Yeah. That's the cool thing. Sean and I have been friends for 30 years. Right. So, you know, we, and people give me crap all the time because I pick on him too much, but trust me, he gives just as much, just not when the microphone's in <laughs> He saves it for when he can be real nasty. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. what people don't get. Like, Man, you pick on him too much. You get like, nah, you ain't heard half of it. Yeah. So, but no, um, talk about your podcast. And you know where we're coming from. You knew this already. Everything I just said was rhetorical to you. But talk about your podcast and what it was that you wanted to do so different. Um, I already know the answer, but maybe some people that are a little bit confused. What was it that you really wanted to dive deep into or dig into with your podcast? What was, what was the direction that you wanted to do different? Yeah. Um, so first off, what I will, I want to add to what you said about what you are in your podcast, because, and by you, I mean you and Sean. Um, I think that you guys underestimate your value because you the skill set that you have is one that's very rare which is that you have the self-awareness to be able to understand what it is that's important to know and the true in my opinion the true value of a very smart person is the questions that they ask and if you have somebody in in a room that doesn't ask any questions, it's not a very smart person. <laughs> and <laughs> there are somebody that assumes that they know everything. And the reason why you guys relate to so many people and the reason why that the growth of your podcast has been so good 
is because you relate to a lot of people. Pe- I think I just defined something by its own answer, but the, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pure situation of the mouth getting behind the brain. Basically, the reason you relate to so many people is because you have the curiosity to ask the questions that other people either don't have the opportunity to ask or don't have the thought to ask. My own personal experience from teaching people so many times is that a lot of times, and I don't mean to be insulting to any of my students that are listening to this, but a lot of times it's pointless for me to ask them, what do you want to work on? Because really I ask that not even listening to what their answer is, but listening to how they explain their answer, because that gives me more information than their answer to that question. Um, because most people don't even know the question that they need to know the answer to, so to speak. And so you guys have that formula down very well, where you understand who is an, a pertinent person to have in your office and who and what questions to ask them that helps other people. That's why I said that you're an interviewer and an educator, because mm-hmm. you you act as the filter for them to ask the questions they don't know that they need to ask. And you present the media, the medium for them to be able to listen to it. So you that's as an educator myself and somebody that's an instructor in the game, you are equally as value as my part in it. We're just coming at it from different perspectives. Yeah. Um, but as far as my podcast goes, my purpose of it is this. I don't do anything in my life that I don't want to do. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, I also don't give a flying crap about what other people think about the thing that I'm doing. So whether that be, you know, the conversation we were having uh, tonight at dinner about, you know, the amount of tournaments that I go to or Wendell always would give me crap because when I would rent a rental golf cart, I would literally go and look around and find the biggest piece of crap one that makes a bunch of noise or has like a like a metal flatbed to it because it to me it's like different and i like different you know and and so you know i'm the only guy that does this professionally that has an electric car and that's a super weird thing you know but and i'll you know i'm just weird and i fully understand that and i do things differently right because to me that is fun and I don't, it doesn't bother me. It, you know, I've, I mean, the, the amount of times that I've had conversations with students or friends that, or even, you know, guests that I've had on podcasts or whatever of like, man, you're going really off in the weeds, in the depth. Or, I mean, I just had a conversation today with Dr. Colo about my episode on the neurology of shooting. And, um, and, and he was like, that's really deep, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he asked me, he was like, how many people really listen to that? And the reality of it is the only reason I know that number is because people ask me that question. And so what I'm doing with my podcast is number one, entertaining myself in using it as a source for me to have the excuse to do the research, to educate myself on that stuff, mm-hmm. and then to have something to talk about. 
And my approach is that if I get five people that listen to it or five million people that listen to it, to me, it's the same. And because I I know and I believe that if I do it that way, talking about that engagement thing, that's the thing that I value too. I don't care how many people listen. I care about how many people are engaged and I want to build a community of people. And so the, uh, what I have found is that I have now been a part of three podcasts where I was able to see, like, the, be involved in the analytics and the decision making. So I'm discluding your guys' podcast from that, but it was behind the break, beyond the podium, and this one, uh, the journey. Um, and uh, I have never had better engagement. My lowest episode engagement is 92%. And my shortest episode is two hours and 30 minutes. So that means that of, of, and my average download, not plays, but downloads per episode now, basically after uh, a week is between 2,500 to 3,500. So that means that, you know, of, of roughly that many people, 92% of them are listening to the whole thing or all of them are listening to 92%. And that's insane. Yeah. And I have never had episodes or or I've never been part of a podcast where I have more people sending me the work that I'm telling them to do. You know, I mean, like it it actually is overwhelming because I was expecting it to be nobody. Yeah. And I have people in Australia and uh, Greece and and uh, Italy and Poland and Denmark and Canada, Mexico, Argentina, all over the place sending me like, hey, here's my practice plan. Can you tell me what to change? I'm like, Jesus, I don't even read this language. How do you want me to do this? <laughs> you know, I have to click Google Translate for your email, but you sent me handwritten notes. I don't understand. You know? <laughs> so... It's been mind blowing, oh. and so it's re- and the you know the uh, that's not a that's not a joke. Like I legitimately have had people. I had somebody from Russia do that. Really? How crazy is that? Oh, yeah. That and so the um uh you know the my shoot analysis sheet. I am up to probably over twenty thousand submissions are you really yeah um but also understand that a lot of people submit multiple you know like every tournament they go to you know um and so um the uh my goal with my podcast is to i understand that it's crazy long they're three hour episodes i understand that some topics in there are at the level of me talking to a, a, a leading neurologist, because really they're me talking about my notes that I made when I talked to a neurologist. Yeah. And so I understand that for a lot of people who are like, I don't want to listen to this, or maybe I really only want to listen to this little part, or I can't digest a three hour podcast at that's, one time. Well, that's why you got so many downloads, David, because the same guy's going back over and over. Yeah. yeah. See, it's all marketing. That way I can go <laughs> and say, like, hey, look, I get this many downloads. 
<laughs> it's, really, it's my mom at home just <laughs> clicking play all day. <laughs> what was that? Anthony said, I'm going to hang up the phone. I want to go look in the dictionary and find out what half the words David is talking yeah. about. <laughs> so they keep downloading. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's like probably every time they go back to hear the word again, it counts as a play. <laughs> the guy in Greece has to keep resubmitting it to the translator. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can't understand. Are you, are you sure this is English? It sounds like a rare one. Yeah, Google Translate doesn't say proprioception. Please <laughs> <laughs> uh, say proprioception in Oh, man. It's called black noodle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> you gotta leave that party. But yeah, so like it's my goal is my literally my only goal is this. I don't care if people listen to all of it. I know if they listen to it in the way that I'm presenting to it, uh, presenting it, it will help them because I'm using my knowledge as an instructor for 20 years and a world champion to present it in an order that makes sense that they need to listen to it so that they learn if they follow along with the homework and stuff. I, so I know the structure of it is the best I can possibly make it, but I also structure it in a way to where like, if you don't listen to three hours, listen, go through the topics. Every time I release an episode, be like, there's a 15 minute section of something that really interests me. I just want to listen to that. And you can yeah. do that. And so I really, I just, I really want to just do that and present fun information. But then also I, I want to build, I want to create a community of people that engage and interact with the podcast and, and end up meeting each other through the podcast and make friends yeah. that can ha- hold each other accountable. They can practice together on the stuff. And I just want it because at the end of the day, in a way, honestly, I'm trying to create a reason for people to go shoot. Yeah, that's really cool, though. I really like that. Um, you know, I don't know how much research you do for your podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all like episode 112 or 113 or whatever. But we have Ricky Marshall Jr. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. So the, the podcast host in me... I've learned after all these episodes what it takes for scheduling. And, you know, sometimes it's just hard to get a hold of these people. Yeah. That's the one advantage you have because yeah. it's just you most of the time. I know you're talking about getting guests on. Um, I still haven't figured out why the hell you want me and Sean. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, you know, you, you are the expert. Mm-hmm. And you get to talk about stuff that you, that you love and you're passionate about and, and try and spread some knowledge, right? From, for us, um, we rely on guests. Yeah. And what Sean and I have done some shows where it was just me and him, and it was like, man, I don't know about this. We've had a lot of good compliments, but it's like, man, we're not the experts, you know? Um, so I put about 14 hours in that episode. Yeah. You know, like Ricky Marshall, you know, he's a trap shooter. Yeah. But I, I called him the Derek line of trap shooting. Yeah. Because, like, you know, Derek is a national and world champion in sporting plays. Yeah. 
but then he also shoots also Steve track. Trap, and then yeah. of course he's an Olympian, you know. Um, and here you got Ricky Marshall, he does all that stuff, but he also likes to shoot sporting clothes. Yeah. So I want to do some research on him. Yeah. So one find find out who he was. I mean, I had met him and I talked to him several times, and great guy. He's oh like, man, a lot he's of fun to talk to. As good as it gets, I love Ricky Marshall. Bear pedal shooter, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Recent bear yes. pedal shooter. Super excited yeah. about that. Yeah. Listen, yeah. for a trap shooter to That's pick a up a deal. vest. That's a big, big deal. deal. Um, but so okay, I did. I did. I turned off the podcast host switch, and I went and turned on the shooter switch. Mm-hmm. What can I get from this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, and we're gonna have him on again because we talked about so much cool stuff. We didn't even get to the questions, <laughs> right now. and that's and and that's the funny part is because you get him on there and it's so interesting. You start ad libbing all these questions, and we don't do anything that's scripted, but we do write down questions to try and keep us from going down rabbit holes. This is especially important when you or Chad Roberts is on the show. So, uh, but uh, I resemble that remark. <laughs> but uh, you know, we we didn't get to some of those questions that I want to ask him from the shooter's perspective. We got yeah. to a, a good amount of them, but we're going to get to more of them. Um, but that's what I try to do with the guests is, and I think that's why people think we're so relatable because we ask those questions, you know, yeah. it's like, what can I dig out of this guy that's going to help our listeners? But I don't think about that when I'm turning on the shooter switch is what can I dig out of this guy that I could take from? Him? Yeah. If I can learn something from him just by talking to him, then that means the people that are listening can learn the same thing. Yes. And maybe that's why you want me on your show to ask dumb questions. Well, duh, yeah. <laughs> Being somebody that's the opposite of dumb. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I want you guys on this show because, like I said, it number one, my main goal, I mean, the goal that I talk about is to help people, other people accomplish their goals. So I want mm-hmm. to do that. But at the end of the day, we don't always accomplish our goals. There's, if anybody can guarantee that you do, then they're just trying to steal your money. Yeah. Because as a, as a coach, I can't give somebody determination. Yeah. I can give them a formula, but it's up to them to follow it. And, and you could push me back on that and say, but as a coach, you should, you should instill the desire to work for that. And you should push somebody. And I would say, yes, I can. And I do. But that's still, I'm not the one deciding you know, I can't, no matter how many times I can, I mean, I could literally drive to your house, pick you up and take you to the range and say, shoot this and load yourselves and make you do it. But still, are you actually going to be in a mindset to learn? No. So at the end of the day, the only thing I can do is, is provide the formula. Right. But if along the way to trying to accomplish your goals that you fail, and but at the same time, you gained a whole squad of people to shoot with. You have people to practice with. You have people that for twice a week, uh, every week you look forward to being able to hang out with on the internet and talk about your favorite thing. You may live in, in the middle of nowhere, Canada, uh, and not have anybody that, you know, but yeah. you, now you have this community of people that you can talk to and enjoy your game with. To me, that's a way more important than accomplishing goals. Yeah. And so, um, you know, because there are times in my own career where it's, you know, and the last two years have been that where to me, 
I have not had time to put the effort in to trying to accomplish my goals because my business and financial goals were counterproductive to my shooting and competitive goals. And being and really, somebody, if you think about that, they always will be. Yeah, yeah, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah, and um, and and being somebody that has the personality that I have, unfortunately, but also fortunately, I never feel the external pressure of people being like. But I never think, well, if I don't win for a year because I'm doing something else that I really want to do, what are other people going to think? I don't have that thought. And well, well, of course not, David. You don't answer your phone to hear your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> no. On social media, yeah. I do a thing called post and ghost. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, but no, like I just don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me because I never think that of somebody else. And, and I just don't. I'm going to do what's important to me. And why would I make a decision of what's important to me because of something else? That's in, because of something that somebody else thinks is important for me, but they don't know my thoughts. Yeah. So, um, the, the, uh, you know, so because of that, like I, um, had a total mind fart right there and I have no idea where I was going <laughs> with that. <laughs> but, Sorry. No, it's okay. But basically what I was saying is that, you know, the, um, uh, no, it's, that one's gone forever. I'm not <laughs> totally gone. I don't remember what I was going with. It was important though. I do remember that. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, you know, as far like, as far as the podcast goes and, and, uh, Oh, I know where I was going. Uh, I was talking about, you know, the more the importance of of the the journey and the people that you meet along the way in the community and friends. And I was comparing it to my career, but basically, you know, for the past two years or so, I've been wanting to do something else in shooting. Like I, I literally have been having so much fun coaching and building a business for people to come and a podcast. I've been having so much fun with that, that, uh, that like, I don't have the desire to take time away from that, to practice, to go compete. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy competing. I love the competing, right. but for a little while, the practice required for the competing was less important to me than the other stuff. But the way that I actually can still benefit in my competition is that in the last two years of me teaching literally every single day for the whole day, whether it be in person or video call, the shit that I have learned is unbelievable. My knowledge of the game has exponentially increased. Really? Oh my God. Wow. My knowledge of understanding the neurology of shooting, understanding the the sports vision aspect of shooting understanding the nutritional aspect the, the sleep aspect the actual body mechanics i mean when i taught when i teach so much and i get to understand people's personalities more and more and more with the diversity of students and everything and you know like having it's a different thing if you have students come in a lesson and then go versus if you have them come stay at your house 
and you have to make them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you hang out for multiple days mm -hmm. because you start to be able to understand what makes them them as a person and then how you can influence their shooting to make them better. And I have like, you ju it's just, it has been such a valuable experience for me in my own competition because now that I've decided at the end of last year that I'm going to take my competing seriously, I can come to that with a better perspective and a much more well-rounded approach in being able to make my, like I know myself way better now than I did two years ago. And so I feel fully confident that if I say I want to win this shoot, I'm going to be able to win it because now I know how to do that. And so, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's this podcast that this guy does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, or, the, uh, what was it uh, behind the podium or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no. So, like for the two years that I was not accomplishing my shooting goals, mm -hmm. uh, like it was the community of people that made going to tournaments for me so much freaking fun. And even when I couldn't go to the tournaments. Like the perfect example for me right now is the podcast. Like I, I didn't get to shoot in this tournament. I didn't go to Dubai. I wasn't at the Caribbean. I wasn't at the RC cup. I wasn't at the, whatever the Florida challenge, but man, the community of people that I'm working with every day is a blast and it keeps me involved. Yeah. And so that's why that's important. So that's why I, you know, I want you guys on my podcast because of a couple of things. Number one, I believe. <laughs> It's very, very important. You and I talk about this all the time, but we've never really talked about it publicly. I believe that there is a massive importance and value to the listener if if competing and air quote podcasts actually really work together. Because yes. the reality of it is that you, my podcast and your podcast and you and me individually and Sean, I keep saying that, but he's not here. So my ADHD, <laughs> unless you're with me, you don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the way my brain works. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's why I can, that's why I can like, man, I just saw a thing the other day. Uh, this is dead honest truth. I, w I walked into my office with my phone on the phone. I had the phone on speakerphone talking to, I don't remember it was a student. And I, so I walked into my office and I see the thing I was going to get because I was going to take a video uh, for them for a gun, but I needed this little thing for my for my gun. So I put the phone on my desk to pick up the thing, and I walk out of the room. And <laughs> and I'm like, and I, and I okay, and I'm like, what did I grab this for? <laughs> and and I hear and then I hear the voice, and I'm like, is did I leave the TV on? Oh and God. so then I walk <laughs> so I walk back into my room. And I'm like, oh dumbass, I left I put on the phone. So I put the thing in my hand on the table. I picked up my phone and I walked back out. And I was like, okay, I'll send you a video. He goes, okay, did you grab the thing? I was like, oh, I forgot that in the room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the way that my brain, this is why it's so oh, challenging for me. God. But anyways, the, uh, so like <laughs> I have, it's called object permanence. It's very bad for me. Uh, but um, anyways, <laughs> the. Uh, I had that once as a kid. My dad hit me upside the head and I forgot all about it. <laughs> so, it's true though. Uh, it, was, it was cured. <laughs> I mean, you know it's bad when you're on the phone and you leave it in the room and walk out. I've never been on the phone and set it down and walked around. <laughs> it was on speaker. It wasn't. <laughs> okay. 
And I literally, it's the second, I'm not talking about a minute or two. I'm talking about, I got out of the room and turned the immediate corner and I'm looking at my hand like, why did I grab this? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's a daily occurrence for me. I mean, it's bad. You don't have kids. Oh, I'd forget they exist. <laughs> you leave them in the car. I would. Leave them in the grocery store or something. <laughs> oh, man, it's bad. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, oh, man, I had something I was going to say, and I completely Now I'm feeling some daily because I just completely <laughs> forgot about what I was going to say. You know, it just, but it blows my mind that I have the ability to, in a lesson or in a tournament, be so focused. You know, this goes back to something my wife said to you tonight at dinner is about being self-aware. And here comes the saying that I love to hate, being where your feet are. Yeah, that's um, a good saying. I, I don't know. I, you know, maybe it's something that uh, me and Don Grant need to focus on a little bit more. <laughs> but I, sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, I know what I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, why'd you just do that? You know what I mean? I, I, I keep going back to that. And like how many times, I don't know if you've ever done this or not. I mean, how many times have you missed the target? You know exactly why you missed the target. And then you turn around and do the same thing again. Yeah. It's like, why did you just do You just told yourself not to do that. And you set up and did the same thing. And, you know. Maybe that's that self-awareness thing. <laughs> but uh, I know the answer to that. You want me to tell you? How long is this going to take? <laughs> it's, it's not too long. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. It's, um, let me think real quickly if I can come up with a very fast analogy. That uh, what? T- tell me just some things. Some. Uh, okay. So. No, I don't mean uh, that. It's going to, that's going to get you off. I don't mean a thing. Uh, let me just say, like, if, if I were to ask you to untie your shoe, mm-hmm. okay, and then I would ask you to tie your shoe again, and then you would tie your shoe. And then I would say, okay, untie your shoe again, and you untie your shoe. And I say, okay, tie your shoe, but backwards. And your ability to tie your shoe, if you can do it backwards, is going to take you five times longer to tie your shoe backwards. And the, you would notice one other thing that you wouldn't be able to do anything else while you were trying to tie it backwards. Mm-hmm. And so meaning like if for me, if you make the loop with your right hand and then you pull it through with your left hand, I need you to do all of that with the opposite hands. Okay. And so that's a, something that you do every day, which is tie your shoe. Right. But all I did was ask you to do it with the opposite hand. And so the difference is what neurological signal is being sent to that part of your body. And what is controlling that neurological signal? What is it? Is it what is called a central pattern generator or is it called an upper motor neuron? And so basically it's like, is it being, I, this is a really good analogy that I used in a lesson uh, with, a, with a, a student of mine in Arkansas. We were, we were trying to, he literally asked me the same question. And he, uh, he's a 16 year old kid. and. The, Jason, I'm telling you, freaking unbelievable talent. Really? And has every part. We talked about in a podcast, I know, on your po- episodes somewhere where you asked me what you'd like need to be 
a world champion. And I gave you an equation of all the different variables. Yeah, I remember that. He has every one more really? than anybody I've seen. There's not one that he's missing. Does he have a passion? hundred percent. He takes it upon himself to shoot probably three to four times a week. He every and takes it very seriously. I'm so little sidetracked. When I first started giving lessons to him, I, I recognized that in him. Mm-hmm. And it was just a rare opportunity that I get the ability to do this. And I said, I want to make you a contract. And he said, uh, he goes, okay, this is at this time, he might've been 15 years old. And um, I said, I don't, I'm going to make you sign a piece of paper, a real legitimate legal contract that I forget what I had him put on the line, but it was not a, uh, it was, just, it was a big deal, but I basically told him, I drew a line on his vest and I was like, I gave him all these constraints for how he had to shoot everything. Eight, uh, SCTP trap, skeet practice, just goofing off. If he ties to get into a shoot off to win something that's really, really important on his goal list, still have to follow these rules until I tell him when, and I'm not going to tell him when he can stop doing this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, it could be for five years that I have you do all these things. And it could be tomorrow that I have you stop doing all these things. And so it's like, literally, if you're in a shootout for a world championship and it's the exact type of target that doing these things becomes very, very hard to do, you still need to promise me that you'll do it. Yeah. And so he was like, okay. And he signed it. And he, he like, I have gotten calls from his, his SCTP coach. <laughs> I've gotten but like, you need to have him stop. He's taking this contract too seriously. I was like, nope, I'm going to have him. Like, this kid is awesome and wow. incredibly mature. When he comes to hang out with me, I feel like I'm hanging out with somebody my age. Wow. So anyways, I had a lesson with him. And because he had just turned 16, I let him drive my Tesla. Wow. And um, we were just talking about the difference. Mm-hmm. So I said, the difference between when you try to do something Verse like when when you try to do something that you're trying to change, but it doesn't go well, mm-hmm. that's driving my Tesla on autopilot where you're, you don't have to pay attention. Yeah. You sit in the car, you press the stock twice and it just goes and you cannot pay attention. You can answer emails, although you should pay attention. <laughs> I pay attention all the time when I'm driving, <laughs> but you can basically stop paying attention until you get to your final destination. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the uh if you're driving your car you can't do that right okay and it doesn't matter where the start and finish is i can always engage that autopilot um but when you say autopilot for the human being that's your subconscious yeah and and so but the problem is in order for me to take control of the car manually i have to disengage the autopilot right right and, and I have to do that by conscious decision and action. And so the, uh, if I think that just because I have the idea that I want something to change for my next pair and I've diagnosed the problem and I say, okay, that was a problem. I got to change this. I call pull and equivalent is I get in my car and I type in the destination on the GPS and I click full self-driving, I press the button and I let it drive. Just because I have the idea that I want to take a different route there doesn't mean it's going to do it. It's going to go the route of the GPS. 
If I want it to go a different way, I have to shut off the full self-driving and drive it myself. And the problem is that that by doing that, uh, it it creates clunkiness. Mm-hmm. It's less easy for me to get there. Right. I have to pay attention and be involved, and I have to be very aware. And so the awareness has to be assigned to my surroundings. Otherwise, I'm going to crash my car if I'm driving it myself. If I have the same level of attention to the road when I'm driving versus if the car is driving, I'll crash and die. Yeah. You know? And uh, because when the car is driving, I'm not paying attention to anything. The car is doing that. Sure. And But it's the exact same thing in a tournament. If we miss a bird and we think, oh, that was a problem. I need to change that. If we have the conscious idea preloaded in our head that that's the thing we want to change, what we call pull and immediately connect our attentiveness and our focus to the bird again, and we don't attach that attentiveness and our focus to our body, whatever the thing it is that we need to feel that's going to be different, it will never change. Yeah. It has to be driven consciously, literally by deciding to move your body a certain way while you're moving it. Here's a better way of saying that very simply. If you can't put it this way, if we're in a lesson and you miss a bird and I say, okay, Jason, I want you to do X, Y, Z right now. And I say, uh, but in the middle of your movement, if I say stop, you need to be able to stop immediately without making any extra difference in movement. Like if I say stop, the second you start to hear that you should be stopped, totally frozen, no difference. And, And that means that if I say stop in the middle of a movement, you should not be able to lose your balance. You should be able to freeze in whatever position you're in and not move. If you can't stop immediately, and this literally means if I say stop one foot before your break point, if you can't, if, if, if I were to say stop and then you were to pull the trigger, that is a closed loop system that is being driven on autopilot which is unable to be changed. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So a great way to practice that is to have a random beeper in your practice. And if it goes off, stop. Hmm. Interesting. So then that lets you, okay. I'm not gonna, yeah. It's turning an yeah. open loop system into a closed loop system. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Um, hey, one last question. Yeah. What if, if, David Radulovich left this earth today. I mean your body. Man. We all know your mind. Oh, man, I've been gone a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what's the one thing you want to be remembered as? For I'm talking about specifically for sporting plays. Yeah. Um, I, that's a very good question. Uh, and, I, and I think about this a lot. So I actually do have an answer they don't have to think about in BS. Uh, I want, there's two things. One is through the filter of the way that I approach the game Mm -hmm. as a competitor. And one is an answer to what I did for the game. And, um, the one that I want for how I approach the game as a competitor is that I would like to make an impact on the way that people think about what's important in shooting and, and getting better. I, I would like to be the person that first brought to the attention of people that said like, hey, 
we should stop paying attention to to thinking that the way to get better is to pay attention to uh, technical applications of methods and instead we should learn physical movement and here is a scientifically based factual proven way to understand how to move your body in perfect efficiency and harmony with the target and uh, so I would like to be the person that people think about did that and fully recognizing and hoping and praying to God, if there is one that I'm only the person that starts that and someone continues to push it further when I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that for the game, I'm a student of, all sports and athletes. And I really like, I, I love to study people like Tom Brady and Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Sam Snead. Oh, I love all those guys. But my favorite athlete of any sport and of any time is Bobby Jones. And the reason why is because that actually I kind of have two. I have Bobby Jones and a guy named Harry Varden. And both of them are golfers. And um, what I admire so much about them is that they changed the way that golf was, was portrayed. Harry Varden kind of was a guy that changed golf from something that, you know, like if when Harry Varden played golf, and I'm not saying that shooting is like this at all, but but this is a cool thing about him. His nickname was the stylist because he was the first real person in golf to wear what they would consider like office clothes to the golf course. He like literally would go play golf in a suit. And he was multi-time British Open champion, US Open champion. But at a time where if you were a professional golfer, you were considered underneath the level of being able to be eligible to even join a country club because they look down on you. And he, and he, and he kind of leveled the playing field between very wealthy business people and professional athletes in golf. He also came up with what's called the Varden grip, which is what, how people interlock their hands. So he changed the game mechanically and stylistically. And, um, Bobby Jones was, I mean, he started the masters mm -hmm. and, he created that tournament that was initially basically like an invitational where the pros came together to play each other. And it was something special and different. And it wasn't about big numbers. It was about a small, intimate experience that was different and is still held to be at the highest regard. Yeah. Of and so if you really look at, to me, in my opinion, the people that impacted golf the way we look at it now, Golf is a professional sports where the professional athletes are very, very, look, very, very highly put on a pedestal. They make lots of money. They act professionally and there's no other game better than golf where sportsmanship and professionalism is at the forefront of what it should be. Yeah. So, and those two guys impacted that the most. So that's what I would, I want to push shooting forward from a mechanical approach and I want to push shooting forward from a professional approach. And I don't care how many world championships I win. I don't need to. Nobody's going to ever beat George Digweed's 
record of winning world championships in five different decades. Right. That'd be, I mean, it's insane. Yeah, it if is I, insane. I mean, that's literally insane. I, I'm going to be dead by the... If I won a world championship every year, I'd probably die before I could beat well, George Digweed's record. Yeah. And, and, and uh, even not further than that, but look at what Zach's done on a national level. Right. In the last five years... He's won the national championship three times, three times, and came in second the two years that he did. So right. Never been done. Right. It'll never be done again. Yeah. I will. I should. You never say never. Right. I don't see it happening anytime in the future. Yeah. I appreciate professional. Comp- like I get excited when Zach does that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the personality that makes me think like. Son of a bitch. I yeah. hate Zach. You know, I get excited for Zach. Right. And so I fully recognize that, like, I am not externally motivated at all. And it's the my, it's what makes me incredibly dangerous, but it also makes me, it makes it hard for me to win. Because the only way I'm going to win is if I'm self-motivated. Mm-hmm. And so um, to me, there's just more important things for my career than winning a world championship. And... Uh, the only way I want, I, I, the reason why I enjoy winning world championships is because there is literally never, there is not a better high that you can experience. <laughs> That's going to sound like I've experimented with all the different kinds, but, <laughs> but, but really, I mean, like it's the most addicting feeling that you can ever possibly imagine not winning it, but being able to win or lose it in the last moment. The moment before it happens is the most amazing feeling I've ever experienced in my life because you don't know where it's going to go. And it's both the biggest paralyzing fear, but also the most exciting anticipation at the same time. Well, you know, we're we're talking about all these records and all this other stuff. Let's face it, sporting plays in this country is a very young sport. Yeah. Um, I really, I relate everything to motocross. You know that. Yeah. Motocross is a young sport. Yeah. Like, it didn't really get started here in this country until the late 60s. Um, Supercross was invented here in the United States in the 70s. Um, And so it's a young sport. But then you look at Ricky Carmichael, you know, he was the one that really brought big money into it for the riders. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the contracts that he signed with Suzuki were astronomical i mean like wow you know the, the writers that had retired before him were like he just signed for more in one year than i made in 15 years of my career right. i mean seriously yeah uh-huh. and i know we have an uphill battle because okay again the guns but if we can get past that if we can push through that and i think safety is going to be the only thing that's going to be able to to push that is you know we're, we're in line to do stuff like Mm. And so what you're talking about doing that level of professionalism, you know, golf's a very, very old sport. Yeah. But I know people that can shoot shotgun and can't swim golf. Yeah. Because of their age. Yeah. So, and I, and I know people that are shooting play targets that, and that are so, so little, they can barely, I mean, I watched a kid on make or break. The gun was taller than him and probably way more than Yeah. Him. And he got up there Sorry, Trevor, I'm going to call you out and smoke Trevor Shannon. <laughs> okay? This kid ate his lunch. That's awesome. So, but it is awesome. You know? It is. Um, 
I don't. I don't think you're going to see that kid knocking a golf ball around. Mm. It just doesn't happen. No. It takes years for that to happen. But I think what you're talking about doing is it's kind of fascinating because leaving that kind of mark on a young sport, that'll be known for a really long time. You look at, I mean, I don't do it because I want to, you know, people listening to this podcast right now, unless you're an extreme fan of this person, you're not going to know like, uh, oh, I, uh, or you were alive during this time, you're probably really not going to know who someone like Harry Varden is or Sam Sneed or any of these people. Right. You're going to know, like, you know, you'll probably know Jack Nicholas. You're definitely going to know Tiger Woods. But that's because they're relevant now. But if it's prior to your lifetime, you're not going to really know who they are unless you invest the time into looking into it. Uh, and, like, you know, Somebody just recently asked on Facebook, like, who are the most influential shooters of the history of this game? A lot of people had a hard time answering that question. People are are not going to forget people like the, the big names that we think of now. And I mean, like the top three. Yeah. And um, but realistically, in two generations from now, in two lifetimes from now, I should say, they're going to forget those. Yeah. And that sounds bad to say, but it's just the way people are. And so I don't care to be a name that's remembered. But what gets me excited is that I love this game and I love what it does for people because I'm going to be straight honest with you. If I didn't find this game, I would be a failure in life because I can't have a normal job. I could not work in an office because I need to have a challenged, diverse environment and I need to have a puzzle in front of me all the time. I reject authority, so I can't have a boss, okay? And if I didn't have the confidence that shooting gave me in myself as a person, I wouldn't have the confidence to start a business. And so I would have just been fired after fired after fired. And I would constantly be bored and I would not make any money. And I would, and I would be the first person in the family of all doctors to not be one. And so shooting gave me the life experience to understand who I am, to make a career out of myself because that it's so interesting and engaging to me that I succeeded wildly within it. And so because of that, like this sport is the coolest thing to me. And that's, it's both why it's amazing to me but it's also what makes me good because it is amazing yeah and so to me like i just want to help it mm-hmm. and and so you know if it can be like you know i i have a really diverse set of skills and knowledge and i'm very good with technology and computers and and anything like that. And, you know, if I can find avenues to help more people in shooting, like a podcast that's designed as a course where you don't have to be able to come to me or me come to you to get instruction. If I can find a way to help smaller clubs grow and get better participation because that grassroots grows the game. If I can, you know, I recognize what I'm good and bad at. I'm not good at somebody that's going, I'm never going to try to be on the NSCA board or board because I don't like the authority of it and it's too slow for me. I like to move fast. So I like to work by myself. So whatever it is I I want to do, I want to have invitationals 
to to collectly collect the pros together to create a movement that forces people to pay attention that says this is cool i want to get on board i want to do stuff that helps people understand other ways to get better and teach i want i just want to push the sport forward in whatever way that i can because i think that as a pro whoever you are if you're paying your bills from this game then you owe it to the game to do that you know what i mean yeah very cool yeah very cool answer I, that's just that's what excites me the problem is that I see too many opportunities in places to do that. And my ADHD goes, oh, score, oh, score, oh, wait, listen, oh, wait, over there. <laughs> so Rambo talks me, oh, never mind, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm going to continue to give you crap about that, too, because I'm not the only one that experiences this problem, so I'm speaking for everybody at this point. <laughs> so, no, you know, I, I asked Sean the same question the other day, and, uh, you know, that we all have, on a personal level, we have different reasons, you know, for Sean and I, we're both fathers and husbands and all that kind of stuff. So there's there's all that. But I asked him specifically for sporting clients, what he wanted to be remembered as. And he sat there for a minute and he goes, well, what do you even want to be remembered as? And I said, a good ambassador to the sport. Yeah. You know, that, that's, you know, the end game. I guess if you could, if you could say, what's the end game to the podcast? You know, I, I get taken out of here tomorrow. It's I want to be remembered as a good ambassador to sport because I can't, I don't have the skill set and knowledge, you know, guys like you that are at the top of the game have, and I'm never going to set those records or whatever. So if I could somehow or another do that by helping people through the podcast, mm -hmm. then hopefully that will leave a good mark for me. You know, that's what I'll be remembered as in the sport. So, which is kind of cool because there's not too many. You know, average Joe double A shooters out there that can say stuff like that. You yeah. Know? So I, I, Sean and I have been very blessed with the podcast. Yeah, know, absolutely. And, and he agreed with me and, and he, he felt the same way. So I think that that it's not an easy thing to do a podcast. It's not. And, and in all reality, it's not worth it unless you really love it. Yeah. It's well, so much work and it pays well, you nothing. That's what Sean said. It's a labor of love. 100%. Right? So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I put 14 hours in, into an average podcast, um, and my wife, you know, depending on the audio quality or the guest or whoever, you know, she, she puts a ton of time in, you know, upwards of 10 hours sometimes in editing. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then, you know, Sean, put, he's got what he contributes to it. So, it it's, takes a village, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, we, we put a lot into this, and... If you look at the dollars and cents of, you know, what that little piece of the pie we get from the sponsors compared to ours, we're all making about a dollar twenty-five an hour. So. Yeah, it's uh, real, really great job. Yeah, <laughs> great business model. Yeah, right? so far mine's cost me about forty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing too is the equipment. You know? Oh my god, so, yeah, so expensive. People keep harassing us to do video, and I think. We're looking into a couple different things, and I know you said you were going to help us with some cameras and stuff, but we're working into doing, like, when we have a new studio guest, um, doing some video stuff. I don't think I want to do anything live because we really enjoy having a drink and letting, you know, the occasional word fly that gets edited. So, um, and not only that, but sometimes <laughs> it can be a real uh, show in studio, if you will. Yeah. So, Been there. <laughs> yeah, 
don't think live is the way to go. You know, you know, people get a you know a good good laugh when Bella's behind you on the bed wanting yeah. to play or something. But you know, if you saw someone tripping over <laughs> tripping over a microphone cord in a podcast, dude, that is not something you want to see. <laughs> no, it's. Um, I, I think we're going to experiment with a few different things, and, and but I think we'll always stick to our mission statement. So yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, you have to. And your mission statement is based off of what you value your own self doing. And, yeah. it, and it should be based off of, you know, you guys have done this. And you should be proud of yourself for 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 what you guys have done in the podcast and, and everything else. Because it's, uh, you know, you have to not allow yourself to get lost in the weeds of of the people who mean well. But... Everybody has their own opinion on what you should be doing. Yeah. But the only thing you should be doing is what you want to do. Because that's really the only way that you create a product that's good enough for it to be as good as possible. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because we've, we've had so many people say, well, you should say this, or you should do that, or you should ask this, or you should ask that. And uh, it's funny because Sean and I have always stuck with like what you said, like what we wanted to do. Yeah. And... Somehow or another, it keeps working. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you you know, you want to obviously be able to take constructive criticism to get better at what you want. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and the other thing is sometimes, you know, like I've had multiple businesses where I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but I never even thought of other ideas and either people gave them to me. I was like, whoa, I like that way better. Or I just followed where it was going and it turned into something else. Obviously, you want to do that too. But I, I think, like, I approach my podcast. This is going to sound very strange, but I approach my podcast uh, like art. And if I'm an artist, I there's no, I don't, I'm not trying to, like, I'm just trying to give my message. And however you interpret that, that's your message, you know? Yeah. And so if, if, uh, and that's how you interpret it and it means to you what it means to you. And it may be something completely different to me, but they're both valuable. Yeah. And so, you know, like, d- but in order for me to do that, I also have to be able to say, yeah, I have the self-awareness to understand where what I do is a miss. And I have to say, do I value that miss that I over? where I feel like it's important to me. Like, so should I change what's important to me so that I can cover those holes? Mm-hmm. And if you understand the full spectrum and you still feel like you can make the decision that you want to make then keep doing it and don't change. Yeah. Sometimes it, uh, it, it gets a little frustrating because some of the constructive, constructive criticism is kind of brutal. Um, <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> You like it. I'm sure you probably yeah. you know. make it shorter, stop stuttering. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a mutual friend of ours texted me uh, well, during your show and said, Are you listening to David? And I said, Well, I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> he laughed and he says, uh, What do you think? I said, Well, he, I just counted six us in a row. Oh, man. <laughs> I just recently did a live where I was just shot. I, I just basically, I had worked 
probably 20 some, probably about a 20 hour day of nonstop communication for the past nine days straight. Four hours of sleep, 20 hours of one-on-one -on -one time with me and somebody else. No lunches. I would eat in the, uh, I would eat driving to, from the club to the thing, to, to the hotel at nine days straight. And I was doing a live and uh, for my podcast. And I was like, I, I've never done drugs before, but cocaine sounds real good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but I mean, I was like, I know this is going to be bad because I can't, I can't even think right. And I was doing it and trying to answer questions. And it was like the opposite of how I joked that my brain gets ahead of my mouth. My mouth was like, miles ahead of my brain was like can we just stop you know i couldn't even answer it was constantly like uh uh and i would just get lost i'm you know and that happens sometimes and and when it does you know and if, if i'm recording and that happens then yeah. i just don't i just record another day but on a live man i would i just had to apologize like sorry guys i'm useless right now but i'll hang out you know yeah. well you know and it, so so people to put this in perspective people understand you know, the passion that I have for it is like, you know, I just got done shooting six days in a row. Yeah. Okay. And the last time I touched my gun was the second week in December. Yeah. I come down here and I shoot. We shot at Mario all day on uh, Tuesday and then we started competing on Wednesday. Here it is Sunday evening. Uh, we just drove two hours one way. Yeah. And my wife's like, you're going to do this now? It's like 930 at night. And now here it is two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I get an hour drive back, and I start teaching at eight a.m. <laughs> oh, and I got to check out of my hotel. My my hotel to the club is an hour and a half drive. And now here we are sitting in a fitness center on something less than an office chair. Good uh, enough. But uh, no, I just I'm, I'm just passionate about it. I love it. You know? Yeah, like, I mean, I can I'm physically tired, but I'm not mentally tired. Yeah, you know, like it, it because you just get so it's exciting. You know, mm -hmm. if you're passionate about it, it's that's worth it. Yeah, for sure. But, wow, that's cool. Well, hey, listen, let's wrap this one up. Um, this is probably gonna have to be a two hours. Series. We can't do a single part episode. That's two hours and twenty four minutes. We got two parts. That'll be good though. We'll give somebody. A, what we should do is a two part series. One part's on yours and one part's on mine. Oh, I like it. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. That'll be cool. Um, hey, so I got some, uh, you're into the physiological aspect. Mm -hmm. I got some homework for you. Okay. We'll discuss it after this and uh, maybe when we get caught up, we get Sean all wrapped in the next go around. We'll, you, can, you can tell me what you found. Deal. Yeah. I'm in. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Danny. Yeah, that's fun. Well, Sean, I mean, that was part two. Uh, what do you think? Wow. Okay. So definitely way more comedy value. <laughs> and I don't know if that was because it was getting late at night and you guys were getting slap happy or if you had a bottle of bourbon you were passing back and forth. You know, th th that's the funny thing is we actually didn't have any bourbon. So okay. it was scotch. We were, we were No, <laughs> we, were, we were missing our buddy Sean. So we were just like water. Right. Uh, okay. But uh, slap happy was probably more accurate than you think. Yeah. Um, but it was just, I don't know. You know, we just, we just had a conversation rolling and we just kind of went with it. 
But what was your take on it, though? Well, I'm, I'm still trying to envision you guys sitting in a workout room with David's computer <laughs> balanced on weight uh, weight bar or dumbbells or whatever you said it was. Oh, and I'm going to post a picture of that. It's yeah, hilarious. You need to, because everybody needs to see like what was going on there. Um, you know, it's. I think a lot of it really kind of comes back to, for me anyways, the difference in David's podcast versus our podcast. Now, right. at, in the same breath, I think uh, David has... David has his viewpoint and his opinion based on David's experience. Right. You know, from coming up as a young aged shooter, working with Wendell, right. achieving, you know, great, great things at a young, young age. And then he's carried on through the sport where you and I, you know, we've come from the working class background where we do this as a fun thing. It's right. not that we ever tried to make a career out of it or we never tried to be professional shooters or anything like that. Uh, as much as we want to be. So, you know, again, I think that when you look at our two different podcasts, they are very different in what they're trying to do. But right. at the same time, I think anybody that shoots sporting clays or any of the clay uh, disciplines can kind of listen to this and gain something from it. Absolutely. So I, I think you're just lending validation to both of our podcasts. Yeah. I mean, da listen, David's David and he's got his own quirky way of doing things. And trust me, we've had enough podcasts with him to know that. Um, well, but, I'm impressed. What, what? You used the word quirky. That's that's very polite. <laughs> <laughs> David, he said it. I didn't. Um, but no, I mean, you know, David's an interesting individual, and he's very, you know, highly intelligent. I mean, right. I, I respect David for that. Absolutely. And I know he goes off on a lot of di different tangents, and like he said, sometimes his brain overruns his mouth. Um, but at the same time, I mean, when he gets on something, I mean, the things you guys talked about are things that you and I've talked about many, many yeah. times and talked about having a podcast about. So again, hopefully people will be able to walk away from this, not only hopefully learning something from this podcast, but gaining a respect for David and what he does, and then gaining respect for the Dead Pair podcast and what we do. Right. Um, I'm anxious for part three, if you will, and that's where me, you, and David can all sit down. And I, and I told David, the next time we do this, we are just going to forget that we have microphones in front of us because that worked out so well in this episode um, that we just we just had a conversation going. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it. a lot of information, a lot of good stuff talked about, but again, highly, highly entertaining, and the <laughs> and the comedy value, like I said, I think in part two was was way higher than part one. No offense to part one, but I'm just saying. I thought you guys definitely were on a roll and you're definitely getting relaxed. And, and again, maybe a little bit slap happy because yeah. it was so late in the evening. So, I mean, I was jealous that I wasn't there, but it, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Obviously David was going South and I was going North. And so people that are listening, so understand I text Sean and said, we're going to try and record this. We want you a part of it. We'll call you. Remember that? Yep. I remember that. And you're like, okay, well I just had my first drink. So, you know, and that was like, at, I want to say it was like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. No, 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 dude. That was like at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. What, you, what, we what, are you, get, what are you trying to accuse me of, Jason? Well, we didn't get done with dinner until 10. Okay. I Okay, whatever. <laughs> I, I, you know, so, I was going but, a different direction with that. But uh, okay. Yeah. So by the time we got back to the hotel, I looked at, I looked at my cell phone. I looked at the time. And I'm like, I'm not calling him because I know better. Yeah, so I was probably snoring on the couch or somewhere right. in, in Orlando. So, but um, no, I, listen, very, very, very heartfelt thank you to our sponsors for 
being able to let us do this. Um, of course, Elite Shotguns, um, Vera Beach Sporting Clays, Fioki USA, Bear Pell Atlas Traps, Negrini Cases, RE Ranger, Odo Pro, Hearing Technologies, Rhino Chokes, Don Grant, Wooly Shooting Clinics, White Flyer, and of course, Score Chaser, Sean Alley. They brought, they, they were able to bring us two really cool podcasts. Uh, both through the journey and through the dead pair and excited to have you part of probably going to be part three, four and five. Oh boy. But um, we're going to get David back in studio, do this all again and continue on from our conversation. That's cool. I'm looking forward to it. Cause I mean, I enjoyed these first two parts. So I'm looking forward to making magic on the rest. Of <laughs> yeah. And a big After- thanks, a big thanks to David, obviously for taking the time to do this because yeah. that was very cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's not very often somebody can catch David's attention for more than five minutes. So <laughs> thank you very much, David Radulovich. And uh, you guys check out the journey podcast, go to the journey podcast with David Radulovich. Listen to part one. Come see us for part two. And Sean Alley, until next week. We can't wait to see you all back here on the Dead Pair Podcast. We'll see you next time on the Dead Pair Podcast. The Dead Pair. The Dead Pair Podcast is brought to you by Elite Shotguns and Vero Beach Clay Shooting and is fueled by Fioki USA. The Dead Pair theme song was written, arranged, and produced by Toby Tomplay. Special thanks to the following sponsors, Bear Pelt, Negrini, Rhino, Odo Pro, Dawn Grant, Atlas Trap Company, RE Ranger, and White Flyer Targets. <laughs>